welcome to the the arc two talkback for the valkyrie cycle um i am Catherine, uh gm and uh co-director um uh hi i'm zola i'm one of the editors for the valkyrie cycle i'm Haley. i'm one of the composers for the valkyrie cycle hi i'm karina revia i play cesar rodriguez reyes and i'm also one of the editors for the valkyrie cycle Hi, I'm Quinn. I play Eden Grace, uh, and I'm also uh, one of the composers for the show. And I'm Fabiola. I am social media manager. And also for the talkbacks, I'm the person gathering the questions. Cool. Well, I guess I guess let's uh, get into it. Um, what, what's like the first question? Okay, so firstly, the the Eden question, and it's also kind of relevant to other characters. So for people whose characters took moves from other skins, was there something in those skins that you found relevant to your character, or was it just for practicality? Relatedly, was it ever considered for Eden to be the mortal instead of the queen? For Eden specifically, I kind of crafted her character I'm gonna go about this in a little bit of a roundabout way I had the idea of playing a queen um of like playing a little bit more of a behind the scenes kind of queen uh before I fully formed the idea of Eden Grace specifically so Eden being a mortal was um not like really in the cards however i did draw a lot of inspiration from um the i guess fantasy of the skin uh specifically because a lot of uh their characteristics are based off of the mortal skin about like like they are really the only normal one in the entire group both uh <laughs> supernaturally and just like uh sanity levels um <laughs> but i think the specific move that i took from took from a different skin i believe catherine if you want to correct me it was from the neighbor skin which was yes. um yeah it was home life used it in, in episode nine um specifically I wanted to play into that um, whole aspect of Eden kind of almost being a little bit of an anchor for his friends. Um, and it had been like a conversation with Starfire in episode six that like he wanted to be the one that um, everyone like turn to when they needed help but also like would be their like backline would be their support uh for their purposes and like for to keep them their own sanities in check and i feel like especially in later episodes it um if that kind of storyline progresses more and more especially with starfire cassie caesar just like and even like other people within the campaign and i just yeah 
Uh, didn't didn't Caesar also take a a move from a different skin? Because I think hypnotize. Yeah, hip hypnotize or hypnosis, whatever it's called exactly. Uh, yeah, that's a vampire move technically. But the serpentine skin has mesmerized, which is like a way worse version of hypnosis in my eyes. So, like, I just didn't take mesmerize and I just waited until we leveled up so that I could take hypnosis. Because it felt like a, a very, like, similar thing. And just like magic through eye contact. Like it felt it felt justifiable to me to take it. Um technically I also took the move downward spiral from um the mortal, but I literally never used it because after I fucking failed my like five rolls in a row in like episode three, I never rolled dark again. So that ended up being useless. Wait, when did you take that move? I took it after I failed those five rolls in a row because those those were rolls to run away and rolls to like, what is the move? It like not assess the situation, gaze into the uh, abyss. Cause yeah. like, Caesar's trapping was like, who the fuck is this wolf? And like, I failed those rolls because Caesar's really hot and um also good at shutting people down. He has a good cold and a good hot. He is shit volatile and shit dark. But downward spiral, if you like cause yourself harm, or if you like, like you can like cause yourself one harm and then you get plus two to dark. But I literally never rolled dark again for the rest <laughs> of the campaign. Oop. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh my God. So, like, I mean, if I could go back, I would probably take a different <laughs> one that would be relevant. But um, yeah, but yeah, hypnosis. It was it was very. See, it, it felt it made sense. Like I felt like with the skin and also the fact that Caesar is a person who like values control, but like is also like controlled by his family, and so like that imposition of will, um, it just felt relevant to his character. Yeah, it was a it was a good choice. Uh, I know also that Stephanie had hypnosis, um, though I'm not sure she ever used it and it worked. It did not. <laughs> it, I don't think it's ever worked. Meanwhile, Caesar's always worked. So, um, so true, King. Yeah, and in, and in that case, it was another thing where um, it also like very much felt relevant, um, especially like flavored not as like an ability but as a spell that she could use. Um, felt like very relevant to to stephanie's like uh you know sort of drive to to control and like you know rule the school etc um felt very relevant so um that was one that she had i think from the beginning of the game um let me think lucian wanna... took stigmata that was crazy. Oh, that I was, was crazy. So sorry. That's so fucking insane. And it only comes up in that one scene. Yeah. <laughs> Never comes up again. Wait, when did it come up? In in the, the fight. Yeah, in the fight in the clearing. So oh my crazy. god. Yeah. It was wild. Like I I remember the that's from um a skin called um 
Is I that... think it's called The Believer. Believer, I think. Um, oh no, it's not from it's not from The Believer. It is from The Faithful, which mm. is like a move where that that's like very much like um you're being holier than thou, like you believe in like some kind of higher power, you uh the the like flavor text is like lost among a sea of ignorance and what they call sin the faithful is the lone paragon amongst the rest um which is very interesting um and it is it's a wild one um i remember that like percy asked me like if he could take that move uh i i i let uh lucian take that sort of for obvious reasons but also like um i thought that it, it was interesting to uh because he seems he seems a little self-sacrificing in often a, a bad way uh so like stigmata kind of only uh feels relevant in that it like enables that uh <laughs> a little um and i think that's like an interesting design choice about monster hearts is that like often your moves like won't be helpful to you or like they'll be helpful to you but at a cost and uh and often like the skins uh enable your bad behavior uh which i think is fun that's what i love about like powered by the apocalypse games in general i think yeah like everything comes at a cost whether you like it or not even like full successes and roles can be dangerous yeah i agree it's really fun it's a really good game um oh and and cassie had the ghost move the traumatized move which um i loved dia dia pitched that to me and i was like uh slay it's so good um like i think that um sometimes it's hard to like mix two skins together because some of them are like very different but uh generally i think that most of the other moves used like i think all of them that people like switched into um from other skins and in tvc were like always very relevant very um fun and interesting and uh like revealing of character traits and stuff in in exciting mechanical ways the second question is thoughts on the skirting death move and what the mechanics meant narratively was this campaign meant to be lethal? If there is a non-spoilery answer, spoilery answer to that. Okay, the campaign is not meant to be lethal, um, or at least like we had discussed, like from the beginning, um, that the none of the characters would die, like for real, for real, not able to come back, um, type thing. Uh, just because like they're they're kids they're teenagers none of them are gonna die for real um there are certainly still other stakes like that does not exclude npcs from dying certainly um but uh i think that it's kind of like a value that that several people in our group hold which is like "Mm, these are children they should get to have full lives um, and and survive uh, what they go through. Uh, so I think that like the skirting death mechanic is very fun um, as like a way to balance uh, the not killing characters off entirely, but also like keeping 
high stakes involved. Um, I think it's very, I love the excluding death mechanic in Monster Hearts. I think that more games should have like mechanics that allow you to like survive death at a cost. Um, because I think that uh, one of the things that was like really interesting to me about um, that one clearing scene where Stephanie does skirt death is that I hadn't been expecting for her to go into her darkest self. I had thought that uh, Stephanie would give up all her strings because it's like the 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 mechanical difference or like the narrative difference between those two like mechanical choices is like one you sort of sink deeper into like the things that are that are sort of bringing you down and like the the problems and and the spiral uh that like your character is is entrapped in versus like giving up the power that you hold over other people and like choosing to be vulnerable um allows you to like be saved in that moment um and so i thought i i i had thought at the time i was like omg stephanie redemption arc i remember like joking with about about this with saffron afterwards um because uh i i had thought that like this was the the beginning of stephanie's redemption arc and it was not it i mean <laughs> i and i say that lovingly um but like it was true that stephanie wasn't ready yet i think and 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 so clung to her power m even harder and so chose to like go into her darkest self versus giving up her strings over people and I thought that was really interesting and unexpected in like a really fun way um and so I and I like the way that uh that like mechanical decision manifests like in in interesting character choices what was it like to play characters with such unclear slash messy slash in progress queer identities and such complicated relationships to those identities, especially compared to the Cromwell Chronicles, which literally had pride flags and character art before the show ever released. Hmm, that's a good one. Th that's also like an interesting question given we're mostly like crew this time, uh, but I guess Karina. <laughs> I mean, Damn, I was maybe not the person. <laughs> I wish we could have had Saf or Percy here for that, really. Yeah. Um, I mean, because, like, I mean, like, Caesar has, like, messy, like, relationships to his sense of self, but never really, like, his queer identity, at least not within the podcast. And, like, for me, that was purposeful and, like, it's something that I put into him as a character that like, like it never, it never really gets a chance to come up, but like, if it like ever did come up, like I did have a sort of like thing and reasoning plan for that because like Caesar is a person who has like so much shame about so much about him already that for him, it's like a very purposeful choice to not be ashamed of his like sexuality or his gender identity yeah as a gm don't really have a great answer to this because like my npcs didn't really well npcs aren't really the focus of the story so uh that wasn't really a thing that 
I was trying to cover with them. However, like as someone who played Roe, um, I do remember that like part of uh my logic for like Ro not struggling with uh like queer identity or anything was like just uh, similar to what you said, Karina, which was like they have all they have enough issues. Let's um he can just like be very secure in like this one thing and uh and also like part of part of just like wanting to play a character that was like really proud uh from the start um because i guess like thinking about it yeah cromwell chronicles we were all sort of like in it already we were all like yeah we're all gay and that's not a thing that any of us are still figuring out i guess like thinking back on it um Hi, Editor Saffron here. Um, since I am editing this episode, I actually do have the chance to answer this question um, post-recording. Um, the Valkyrie Cycle was actually my first ever Monster Hearts game that I've played. I don't know if I've said that anywhere yet, but um, I had been a forever GM for Monster Hearts, which is fine. I mean, I, I loved the game so much that I wanted to share it with other people, and I was content just running it um but even though it was my first time playing um I was playing with this group of people that I trust so much so I could really dive into these darker um more complex themes immediately with my first character and for me it was just very important to tell a story as someone who's bisexual or pansexual like when I was younger, I had feelings for women. I had feelings for, for all genders, but I didn't really realize that those were, like, serious. Um, that that I could actually, like, date or, or eventually marry a woman or a non-binary person because I, I had this, like, idea from society that you have to, like, marry a man. And... I wanted to give, like, representation for that struggles. Even, and Stephanie, like, doesn't even have, like, homophobic parents. It was, it was just something that comes from society. And, like, I, you know, say the social, like, I say that Stephanie's on social media. She watches, like, Sex in the City and, like, listens to Taylor Swift. Like, there are these, this idea of, like, the kind of woman you're supposed to be and I just thought I wanted to tell that story and so the other reason that like Stephanie has an arc with her sexuality is is comes from a big part comes from like me being inspired by Jennifer's body which is very much feels like a story of two girls or two women who love each other and even have like sexual romantic feelings for each other but it's never like allowed to be serious and hopefully there's another opportunity where um like d and i can talk about like the creation of stephanie and cassie together and like the ways that they um like because i pitched stephanie like I always had pitched Stephanie to have a needy, um, the way, like, Jennifer, Jennifer Check does in Jennifer's Body, um, 
but yeah, this it was just an important story for me to tell, and so I explore it with my character, and I'm grateful that um, it was something that other people wanted to, you know, explore, and Catherine supported as well. But another question is, talk about the fucked up sibling relationships for so many characters, both PC and NPC, this season. What parallels did you guys see? And I feel like any of us could answer this one. Yeah, I I honestly would love to hear the the like Zola and Haley and Fabiola your reactions first as listeners. Well, I I think when I think siblings in the show, the relationship that immediately jumps out to me is Starfire and her sister, and like that dynamic that kind of gets established early on um I just think is really interesting and I think it's really interesting from the like perspective of the chosen as a skin and like the family elements that get brought into that and just thinking about like how that that skin is very reminiscent of these like cultural figures like Buffy Summers who like has this really like kind of found family but then like in later seasons also has like this sibling relationship and that idea of like uh, I think it's really interesting to see that idea of prophecies and family legacy and those like cycles and how that kind of like is connected to that skin and then also like wider themes of the show but at the end of the day they're also just like these are two siblings and they have a really interesting dynamic yeah, I, I totally second that. And also what came to mind for me was Luna and Riley and how like Luna like basically sacrificed herself for her sibling. And so that was like, you know, cool in a way that's like, oh man, you know, pulls at the heartstrings because, you know, what would you do for your sibling kind of thing? I'm, I'm so bad at paying attention to NPCs, but I did notice um luna and riley and also thought that dynamic was interesting and also pretty different from what i registered from the dynamic between starfire and her sister yeah i love siblings um in games i myself am an older sibling um well an older sibling and a younger sibling i have two younger brothers that i grew up with uh and a much older brother from me and so um i definitely identify more with being an older sibling which is why playing so many older siblings uh, as npcs was very very fun for me because there were a lot of different very different dynamics um and I think that like family uh, and and sibling dynamics are are so complicated um, and interesting in this season because like uh, well there's just a lot of different stuff going on and and you know I think that it's interesting to get to explore like what what does like sibling protection and like love like how does that manifest does it, it's not always the same sometimes it's not always positive um and i mean not to well caesar also has an older sibling and she may or may not show up in the future uh but like i think that the rodriguez rays are an example of like 
siblings with some very very different vibes than some others uh yeah retweet (laughs) (laughs) i remember god i remember fully going insane in Catherine's dms one night about eden and emily's relationship eden emily and roman's relationship specifically as well as like their relationship to um their parents as a whole um because i i kind of put a lot of my own like family dynamic into uh eden and emily specifically and again playing into the um I guess the the normalcy of Eden. I there's a specific quote that I told that I said to Catherine. I said like Eden has normal problems, but those are ones that can't be resolved within the scope of the campaign because um a lot of them are just like deep-seated issues within like I guess the I guess uh Sophia Grace's parenting style um as well as like like for example Eden's relationship with her sister is like I want to say tense like a tense um alliance almost um because Emily has um had gone off to college previously and come to live back at home and Eden kind of resented her for that almost um because like like really he kind of just saw that as failure <laughs> that she came back uh and that uh their parents kind of just like accepted her straight off the bat because Eden's whole Eden's whole like thing was that he wanted to leave so bad and just never come back and like he wanted to see Emily do that when he couldn't yet and to see her come back was kind of just disappointment almost but then he saw an opportunity with her to actually kind of like reforge their relationship a little bit in this new scope of Emily having a little bit (laughs) more more of like a difference in age gap a little kind of not even just age gap because they've always had that but more experience I guess and experience and like wisdom that came from that experience and I think and a lot of like a lot of development happened behind the scenes that with Eden and Emily that like they would have my my thought process was that they were having like conversations with each other where he was learning more and more about her and just like and they and they would not just like be siblings because that was required of them but they would eventually kind of like develop a friendship 
Um, yeah, they they were siblings before they were friends, and that 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 that's kind of, um, and I think with Eden and Roman specifically, he it's 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 unique for Eden to be the middle child because while while Emily had a hand in raising Eden, Eden had a hand in raising Roman, basically. They they all pretty much grew up together. And <laughs> it's kind of like Roman he he sees Roman as just a sibling still in that kind of dynamic because like like yeah he raised him that's that was required of him to to see his sibling as a sibling but like there's romans kind of only in romans in freshman year during the campaign he's in eden's eyes not yet a person I I will say it's so funny because uh now that I'm thinking about it because I didn't actually talk about the younger siblings but like they're all like very funny uh I had a a, a like with the exception of Luna and Riley I think that part of my aim with like everybody's younger siblings in this game was to just like make them funny little teenagers like just weird little guys who are like having their own lives and doing their own thing and like totally tangential to everything um because they're all just like 14 they're kids they're you know hanging out and it was a good like five of us that had younger siblings right four or five was it that man because it was roman it was was brianna yeah caesar eden and stephanie stephanie didn't cassie have cassie was the youngest oh we didn't even talk about cassie's cassie and sebastian oh Oh my god cassie and sebastian yeah, I think that more Cassie Sebastian stuff is coming. Yeah, Cassie's mm. still a wolf, I think. Oh god. Oh 10. god. Yeah. Well, there's more more Cassie and his brother things are coming. Um but that's a very that's another like relationship where an older sibling literally raised their younger sibling. Um which is an interesting dynamic that uh a very interesting dynamic that like i don't find at all relatable but i do find like deeply deeply fascinating and and sad mm-hmm. um which makes it great for for telling interesting stories um uh but yeah lots of lots of interesting family dynamics in this game um, i love it so much yeah it was very I lo- fun i love play. just the themes of like tradition within family in this campaign especially with like with especially with caesar's family especially with sylvia's family like the motifs don't just relate to the fantasy of the world they relate to these people's real issues i mean i think that like one of the things that i was thinking about a lot when coming up with like the plot uh, and in the blackwell starfire like relationship and and narrative and conflict was that um like it's a it's a 
it's a big like one of the problems with the, the chosen skin i think is that it necessarily focuses a lot of the narrative on one character and so one of the things that i definitely tried to do with that was to make the theme of like this sort of generational like cyclical violence um apply to everyone like something that everyone could relate to even if they weren't in the prophecy like themselves and which was great because then everybody gave me characters that really really worked with that theme yeah Um, so it was um like just so despite like not everybody being involved in the prophecy like it was really easy to like tie the the like the the characters and the campaign together with like under like a sort of overarching narrative theme which worked really well yeah just like Catherine like mentioning that like younger siblings are just like silly little guys in this uh campaign um it it I I did some more thinking on like Caesar and his like sisters and it is very true that like Caesar is like I mean he's a teenager he's 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 in high school he he i mean and like beyond like all the like supernatural shit but like he's dealing with like boy drama and stuff and like but like i just remember in i think episode three in episode four at the beginning when he comes home from the party after getting fucking thrashed by that zombie like he goes to see brianna because he just got thrashed by a zombie he almost died and she's like very chill and it it, it is sort of something that like breaks through his like sort of like internal angst of like I almost died and I just got in a fight with the boy I like and like this other boy I like blah 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 and you know she's like very chill about everything like she has like one direction posters on her wall and um i think it is something very sort of grounding especially when like caesar does not have a positive relationship with his older sister but in a different way than other characters don't have positive relationships with their older siblings okay so the next question is what was the inspiration for all the little arthur astor details that are so interesting and make him so creepy oh what a question yeah arthur astor what a guy um basically my inspiration for making arthur astor um or like where all those thing details about him came from um the the short answer is that i'm just crazy um and (laughs) and the the longer answer is that like uh i I mean, Percy gave me such a fucked up and crazy uh, dynamic. Like, I think the first thing that I knew about Arthur Astor, besides, like, bad dad, was that Lucian did not have a mother. And, like, he had, like, I literally think that, like, my mother's a blank check is one of the first fucking things Percy told me about Arthur Astor. So, like, I built- crazy line fucking psycho line um and so i i built arthur astor like entirely around that fact like what kind of man would do that because it's like such an insane insanely horrible 
thing to do especially like with the kind of man that he is and like the way that he raised Lucian he was not a very loving father and so it's like why would he do this and sort of from there I like just had to construct like uh the the I had to construct his character and like finding ways and like backstory that would justify like the actions that he's taken not like like in his own mind um i part of i wanted uh arthur astor to like feel real uh because i think that um he in concept could be a very like cartoonishly evil person um and i think that uh small details like um the way that he cooks dinner or um you know the the things he wears or like the way he talks to his son um like those are places where like sort of his uh humanity and like personality can can shine through to make him feel a little less like a stereotypically like evil abusive father um and and i think that like the more real he feels like the more unsettling he is and like the more awful he is because i think that's like i mean the reality of like abusers in real life is that they're they're real people and they're not in they're not like entirely evil there's things about them that are human and sometimes things about them that can be good and uh and and so like I I certainly did not want to make Arthur Astor like a good person um, or have anything about him that could be redeemable. But I also wanted to make him like a little more interesting than just uh, a bad guy. You succeeded. You did great. Amazing. (laughs) Amazing character work, Catherine. Thank you. Okay. And the last question is... Did anyone see the Korra reveal coming? How did her true identity affect how she was played in the earlier part of the season? I, for one, did not see that coming at all. That was, oh my gosh. (laughs) And the fact that, like, Starfire and Korra are, like, you know, they're sort of kind of together-ish. That, like, there's, there's something there. And so it's like, oh my gosh, the... The, the nemesis energy. I can't wait to see how that goes. <laughs> yeah, I would say, um, like, for context, when I'm editing episodes, I'm basically listening along up until the point where I'm editing. So I don't really get spoiled on things until I'm at that point in, in the editing process. I knew that Blackwell was somebody important. Um, and through just conversations with the rest of the the cast and my sister, uh, like, I think I kind of picked up on it, but I don't know how much of that was through other conversations with the people who already knew and just the, the, um, like text or the, the audio of the show, but I think it was a really great reveal either way. Yeah, speaking as a player, um, I did not see that shit coming. That was such a crazy and cool reveal. I just everything about like that dinner in episode 10, that shit go hard, it goes crazy. Did not see it coming, and it was so awesome and exciting, especially with Cora being so connected with like 
so many of like the NPCs or the PCs like since episode one like we knew like oh my god Corrin and Starfire they're like totally a thing or they're we're gonna make them a thing but like also her being like really close with Lucian and like being on student council with Caesar etc cetera, etc cetera, you know yeah I forgot about that oh my god I honestly didn't I remember it being hypothesized in our discord um for like a while and I was like, it, it's a possibility, but it was as much of a possibility in my head as like, for example, Luna or like literally anybody else, because I, I absolutely had no idea. And especially leading up to like episode eight, nine and 10, I was like, is, is this just like some random person that we just don't know? And then it just got revealed to be Korra in episode 10. And I just, I, I remember like on Zoom like looking at everybody's faces including my own and just the it was just like a a renaissance painting of just shock uh and it was crazy uh well i can say um that oh i i had that planned from the very beginning from before the campaign started like as soon as as soon as uh casey told me like i wanted do a chosen this is the thing that i'm gonna do i was like i have always wanted to have like a villain hero dynamic where they want to be together but they cannot because of like fate i think that it's so interesting um where like they actually like very much would be people in normal like in regular life who would like love each other and would want to date and then like it's only because of like cosmic forces outside of their control that they're being like forced against each other and I think that that's so fun and interesting and so um it's actually really funny because I tweeted about that I like tweeted about wanting to do something with that kind of dynamic and I remember Quinn found that tweet like halfway through while we were playing and i was like oh god they figured it out they they figured it out the gambit's up see i posted that so innocuously i think i was like but who could i was like i still couldn't understand i literally looking back on it now i could not put two and two together like it was the easiest thing to connect and yet it just it didn't happen until the reveal happened and i was like oh suddenly this all makes sense all of the threads connect here yeah it was it i will say i was uh i was surprised that other people hadn't found out but i also enjoyed like the shock and the reactions from everyone because it was it was very funny um but yeah people they i think i really thought for a while that casey knew um because people had talked about it in the server when they were like early 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 on in the campaign they were like pitching all these characters to be blackwell and i do remember like i think quinn you suggested that it might be cora and i remember casey like you know sending like the spiraling emoji or whatever and like you guys were talking about like how fucked up that would be or like mm -hmm. and i think it just sort of went away as the game went on because like how could it be cora she's so nice she was she's so, so normal. normal yeah but it was like something that I was thinking about like throughout 
the entire season uh i like came up with cora and was like this is her deal and very much was um it was like kind of intentional that that she tried to like fade into the background uh as an npc because um i i liked that all these that she had like so many connections to the npcs she had beef with stephanie and sylvia um and and so she seemed like such an innocuous character like a character who's just kind of like everywhere and sort of a little bit in everything and because of that she doesn't stand but she doesn't stand out that much and so you wouldn't you wouldn't see it un unless like you know you knew um and so like i i wanted her to come off as like being conflicted um but also but also like she had enough of a of a an alibi with her family that that she could get away with um with letting some of that show without uh giving up that that's not what it all really was um and yeah she's definitely one of my favorite favorite characters to play very excited for for the episodes that are coming um because it, it it's fun it's it's spicy Hi, Editor Saffron here, popping in once again, um, because my dear friends did not mention what I think is an important fact in why none of us suspected Cora, um, was that Catherine made a Blackwell playlist. Um, I think it was technically called, like, Redacted, but we all, like, we, we were all like, that's definitely the villain playlist. Um... And so we were trying to, like, suss out clues from that. Um, except Catherine also made NPC playlists for, um, like, Luna and Caleb and Cora. So I know for me personally, one of the reasons I didn't suspect Cora was I was like, well, Cora already has a playlist. So Blackmail, like, Blackwell must be someone different. Um... I think at one point, though, I asked if Fenris was, like, a lesbian based on some of the songs on the Blackwell playlist. I was like, is Fenris a lesbian or is this just, like, your music taste, Catherine? And um, I was, again, we, we were all so close. We were so close. And then we just we just trusted we just Kath, trusted Catherine and Cora too much also a few questions of my own to the the people that are present at this moment um related to the Cora question for me is like how much of the lore presented in like the most recent episodes and in the dinner scene like how much of that was already planned out from the beginning all of it uh so one one thing that i uh did as a gm is that like i have a folder on google drive i had everything planned out um or like uh, i had everything planned out in terms of like what the npcs were doing all their motivations and their plans to bring about 
like you know the apocalypse so like all of that was set in stone and most of the like on the fly improv stuff that I was doing was like a, all of that was so that I could react uh to player actions um in in the way that all those characters would I think that that um as a GM like my strategy for being able to like do things on the fly make up shit as I go is to just always know what the other characters in the game are thinking what they want um and how they're like feeling about certain things so that when when characters want to talk to them uh, when I am not anticipating that that will happen I will still know how to react to that in the moment um so because of that like I had to have the plot down from the beginning and so uh Arthur Astor's involvement Guadalupe's involvement Sylvia's mom's involvement Cynthia's involvement like all of that was planned from the beginning I knew that at some point in the story um Arthur Astor would want to meet with uh Guadalupe and Cynthia like I I have that in my notes it's like there's gonna be some kind of big meeting where we get a little like villain reveal um especially because like you know the two Guadalupe and Cynthia are like connected to to two of the PCs like in in major ways their family and so this also like has really heavy implications for um the PCs involved so uh I definitely knew that like the dinner scene was like something that I would want at some point in the game um and I knew that I would want um uh that they would all sort of like agree to be in on this and would be all actively sort of like working against Starfire um there were certainly like other ways that that could have gone because I um there, there certainly are like worlds where Caesar might have been at that party or where uh, Sylvia was not or where Lucian was. Um, so, you know, there was certainly like any number of ways that like that dinner scene could have played out that were different from how I had anticipated it at the beginning. But um, all the lore, uh, all of, like the prophecy, um, all of those things were like things that I had come up with at the beginning of the game um before it started uh because uh there was sort of like a lot of moving pieces to the plot and so I had to like in order to just keep track of it all I had to have it all I had it all written down um also like in part because of like just for like posterity that uh uh, at the beginning of the game, like in our session zero, like, you know, I introduced this big mystery of like, who is Blackwell? You know, what what is going on? And um, I did like make an explicit like promise to the players that uh, if they figured out who it was or what was happening, I would not change things to keep the mystery going because I that's like a pet peeve of mine in media. Um, so I like promised that that every all the plot would stay exactly as it is no matter like out of character or in character who figured it out first um so part of it was also just like i'm gonna have this written down as like you know so that you know that i i'd never changed anything like i had a this like big like i had a specific document that was like this is the plot um these are the people who are involved in their motivations and i didn't touch it for like 
four months it like went completely unedited after i wrote everything down um and uh yeah so i i was uh had it all had it all from the beginning wow i also have a question for lee seeing you discussing the waltz and the crafting of the waltz with the editors so I just wanted to ask like what was it like to make that for the the waltz scene between Starfire and Lucian oh yeah that, that was that was an interesting one um definitely one of the more sort of ambitious things that I've done I think because you know I'm still like not super far in my in my in my journey as a composer um let's see what was it like I when I mean when they first were like we need a waltz I didn't know what it was for um so once I found out what it was for um yeah it was interesting because there was a lot of freedom because it's just like starfire goes on like the equivalent of Spotify and puts on a waltz and that's it um but it was it was fun to make um I had I had my little my little VST plugins on Ableton um and <laughs> listening back on it um weirdly I think it almost kind of resembles like the the Howl's Moving Castle theme just a little bit of it which is like the composer for um for that is like one of my biggest inspirations <laughs> so just a, a little fun fact <laughs> uh, but yeah it was like definitely one of my one of my favorite things i've composed for the valkyrie cycle so far it was so good thank you Haley. thanks it, I'm it glad. slaps well if that is all the questions um any any final thoughts from from Haley or Zola? Um, there's there's good stuff coming in the next episodes. Real. That's all I'll say. <laughs> so real. Everyone stands Steph Lucian and Lucy's Caesar. Retweet. <laughs> so say that again. Real stream episode eleven. Uh, some great some great great scenes in that, and I. I had a heavy hand in editing that. So stream episode yeah. 11. It's one of my favorites all time of this season. Yeah. Uh, R3 is going to be so crazy. And the opening doozy. episode is going to be even, is is going to really set the tone. So it's... You thought y'all left off on a cliffhanger with episode 10. Oh boy. Yeah. 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 Lucy's your fans, come get your juice. <laughs> bro fans um, of the show come get your juice for real yeah uh but thank you thank you for listening thank you for um listening not just to the talk back but to the show we all appreciate it and uh, we work hard on it um and yeah i mean fucking get ready <laughs> <laughs>